Welcome back to another bonus episode of Best Hour of Their Day. I got a ton of amazing feedback from you guys last week when we gave you the prologue, the intro chapter to my book, Best Hour of Their Day, and followed up the chapter with a discussion, taking a deeper dive into my early years getting involved in my wrestling career and pre-CrossFit when I was just teaching group fitness and personal training for what seemed like 35 hours a day. Well, today's going to be the first chapter of the book, Best Hour of Their Day, and I'm super excited to present it to you. If you guys are loving this, please let me know. I hope you are. If you're enjoying it enough that you want to go purchase the audiobook, you can do that on Audible. And of course, I have the link in the bio here. So if you have any feedback, you have comments, you have questions, I'd love to answer them. I wrote this book as a passion piece, as a passion project. It was something I really cared about. One day I just started writing and, you know, and 30 chapters later and a whole lot of editing, I was done. So I really hope you enjoyed it. And I also want to give a shout out to the dude that's interviewing me, James McDermott. You probably recognize that we have a great rapport. That's because James was one of my head coaches at Albany CrossFit. He came to me as an intern, which we talk about a lot in these chapters, and he worked his way up to a coach and then ultimately my head coach. And he's one of the most fantastic human beings I know, as well as just one phenomenal coach. If you want to find out more about James, if you just think his voice is sexy, you can check out his own podcast. It's The Barbell Strikes Back. He's kind of a Star Wars nerd, spoiler alert. Um, And you can also check out some of the books. He wrote a book with John North about Olympic weightlifting. And he's got a couple other really top secret books in the works that I'm not allowed to talk about. But trust me, if you like fitness, if you love CrossFit, if you just enjoy listening to people talk about their journeys through the health and wellness industry, you're going to want to check him out. You can find him on Amazon. You can find him on Instagram all those places, James McDermott. So once again, here's chapter one of my book, Best Hour of Their Day. All right, Jay, we're talking about chapter two. We fail at the margins of our experience. Uh, I remember when I first heard that quote, that's a famous Glassman quote. Uh, It was actually an on-ramp way back in the day during my initial internship in the summer of 2011, and Brett was teaching. And after he said that, I was, my mind was blown. I was like, that was the greatest thing I've ever heard. And I had no idea that it was a Glassman quote or anything like that. Uh, what, what made you choose that famous quote as the title for this chapter? Well, like you, the first time I heard it, which I don't remember when, I was really drawn to it. So I remember hearing it. I remember being drawn to it. I don't remember the scenario, but I remember very quickly becoming my favorite quote that I would use in all aspects of life. And funny you mentioned Brett. Brett shows up in a later chapter, which we'll talk about. How is Brett doing? Uh, he's doing good. He's uh, big in the master's weightlifting scene now. He, yeah, it's, it's, he does, he does the meets and he's trying to qualify for nationals and worlds and all that. It's, it's fun to watch people that have been around. I mean, Brett, so I met Brett and we'll talk a little more about it, but on the message boards of the old CrossFit. I don't think you were even around when the no. message boards came out. And it's like a forum back in the day before Facebook and social media. And Brett was in Clifton Park, which wasn't too far away, and very quickly became a member. And then 
he was my first 5:45 a.m. coach and a great coach. But yeah, he's I, I see him on Instagram hitting all these heavy lifts. He moves very well. Yeah. So there's a little teaser for a future chapter. <laughs> More to come on, on Brett. Yeah, there's some great stories that we'll get into. So at the very beginning of this chapter, you mentioned another person from the past in Albany CrossFit history, uh, Sasha. And he was your mentor, a uh, business mentor. And he asked you, what would you prefer, comfort or discomfort? And before we dive into comfort zones and things like that, let's talk a little bit more about Sasha. How, how did you meet Sasha? What's the, the origins of that story there? The, the Sasha origin story. So before CrossFit, I was like the trainer at the core club. There was a handful of other trainers that would come and go. And there was this older woman, Kathy. I don't know if she's still there. Her mm -hmm. son opened CrossFit Shatter. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if, if she is. So, so, you know, it was really just the two of us and new people would join the gym and we would, you know, depending on what they've asked for, if they needed a trainer, Shy would then bring them over to us or we would have met them already. So I remember Sasha joins the gym and says to Shy, the owner, hey, I need someone who's going to kick my ass. I need to get in shape. And Shy was like, I got your guy. This was you know, 2006. So I maybe I just found CrossFit or, or, or you know, not quite yet. And I started training Sasha in the upstairs area of the core club. And, you know, doing really basic stuff, but basic lifts, a leg press, a squat, you know, standard stuff. This big dude from, from Bosnia and, you know, former rugby player, you know, made, made himself here in, in the United States, started a family, great guy, still talk to him regularly. And, you know, so we started this relationship as a, as a trainer. And then I found CrossFit, started in implementing it into Sasha's training. And then somewhere along the way, you know, as, especially as CrossFit grew and I was able to save a little bit of money, Sasha was a financial planner. So we, we formed that relationship as well, where he would, you know, guide me on what I should be doing with not just my own personal finances, but for the gym. And then he helped really help me to develop as a human being at some point. As you know, we brought him in for coaches meetings and staff development. He would do a monthly meeting for just the full-time staff, me, you, Kevin, Caleb, Dean. I think Alex was involved for a little while. Um, but that was really the beginning of it. And again, you know, nearly 15 years later, Sasha and I talk almost daily via text. That's awesome that you guys still, you know, maintain contact after all these years and still good friends are uh, is he still would you say a mentor of yours is he still helping you absolutely i would i would and now it's cool as i think it works both ways i he looks to me for health and fitness advice i still help him with his nutrition and i still look to him especially for financial advice but also just for you know advice when it comes to just trying to be the best version of you so yeah i certainly still look to sasha for that that, that's great to hear. Those long-term relationships that you can form just from meeting someone at the gym. You know, now, it's, it's he, funny, so he, yeah. So he, he asked you that question, would you rather comfort or discomfort? And then he later phrased it as, would you rather comfort or growth? Because we often maybe don't realize that in order to grow, you have to get a little uncomfortable. Now, what, if you remember, are some specific challenges that he gave you that made you uncomfortable that either in business or life or 
your training that you tried to implement after his mentorship? Well, yeah, I mean, going back to the question, you know, that was kind of like the opening remark of his discussion that he's about to have. Hey, everybody, what do you prefer, comfort or discomfort? And assuming you're just a normal person and you're not trying to, you know, hedge your bets for the answer, you know, everyone will, will come up with the answer of comfort. It's obvious. That's what we seek. And then again, when he rephrases it as comfort or growth, depending on the person, you know, there's no right or wrong answer, but most of us chase growth in some aspects of life. And in order to do that, you have to leave your comfort zone. But something else he did is, so if you're listening to this and you're not driving, you're sitting there or walking, you know, if you interlock your fingers, um, you know, like you were doing prayer hands and then just kind of let your fingers interlock with one another, go ahead and do that while you're listening to me talk. And you've probably done it in the way that you're comfortable. Where now if I said, hey, unlock your fingers and switch, so the other hand is on the opposite side of those fingers, and if it's, hopefully this is making sense to you, that's kind of his first test. That's like, hey, that's, that's the difference. That's comfort yeah, versus right discomfort. Now. It's, it's awful. It's weird, right? It yeah. is awful. Like, so, so that was kind of the first thing. And then, you know, the, the big challenges, especially back then, were just mostly how I handled the staff and how I handled significant others. You know, Sasha just really opened my eyes to a lot of those things and just how to not just be smart financially, and not just chase discomfort, but also be just a better person. Now to kind of build off of comfort and growth, uh, on page 40 in the text, you gave a bunch of example, examples on things that might leave someone out of their comfort zone, such as your job is comfortable, but you wanna open a box, or you want to participate in a competition, but it's scary. And I thought it might be fun if we did a little, uh, what would Jason Ackerman do if, uh, if placed in some of these situations? Uh, so we'll kind of run through the examples and you can give your answer. And some of them we may have already touched on because of course you've opened the box, but there's other things on here that we don't think, I don't, I don't think is ever discussed in the text. So okay, let's just let's start off. It. Let's start off with the easy one. Your job is comfortable, but you want to open a box. Yeah. I mean, that was really the scenario that I was in. I was, you know, comfortable as a train you know it would people ask me about switching careers and I never really had to switch careers luckily because I was already a trainer so I was already at a gym it wasn't like I was a teacher or a chef or you know some businessman and I was like I'm quitting you know I was able to slowly phase out you know my clients and my other classes but obviously I went for the box and I think that's something I would still do to this day I've left you know many comfortable positions even recently moving to boulder from florida super comfortable in florida you know had a nice position as a coach at the local box training on the crossfit staff but really willing to go all in again and and relocate to boulder you know with Roz and and start a new journey with with two companies out here so it, it's something that i'm always willing to do and i think most people are not willing to as soon as it, and, and that was simply a matter of comfort I was just comfortable in Florida. That's what I tell people out here. They're like, what's different? I was like, well, after 4.30 p.m., the only place you would find me in Florida is on my couch. <laughs> like, that was it. I was done for the day. I was chilling out, reading, you know, maybe watching a movie, getting some work done. But nowadays in Boulder, I won't get home till 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night because there's always something going on. So it's just a matter of I was willing to 
leave that comfort zone. What, what are those two companies that drew you out to Denver or Boulder? So I work with Thunderbro, Dave Lipson, and Roz works with Feroz Fitness and Camille LeBlanc-Bazinet. And um, yeah, we're out here just growing the two companies and it's going in. And again, this is a great topic to talk about because I was really hesitant to do it and really nervous about it. And I knew Roz wanted to do it. And, you know, again, it was, it didn't, it was really just a matter of, okay, I'm comfortable versus growth. That's what it truly came down to. I could have stayed in Florida and been comfortable probably the rest of my life, you know, in Naples, not doing anything crazy, not, not making new relationships. And, and it was a bit, it wasn't even that big of a risk to move out here. Right. I rented my house that I owned, rented a place out here. So it was kind of a wash. And ever since moving out here, it's been invigorating, exciting, energizing. Like I'm so glad I did it, but it was only because I was willing to leave that comfort zone. And you've, you've been doing this now for years, you know, jumping into different projects and, getting outside that comfort zone, you know, you started Albany CrossFit, you sold Albany CrossFit, other gyms, Naples. Now, does it get easier every time you do it? I think so. I think it does get a little easier. It's a good question. I think it gets easier in the sense that you know you've done it and you can do it again. Like Sasha is a great example of someone who I'll talk to about it. And he's like, he, I think before moving to Boulder, he said something like, I'm never worried about you because you always wind up, you know, figuring out a way. And I think that's what's really important. And then that goes for a lot of people. I think, you know, that doesn't mean we moved out here. I mean, things have already changed since being out here, but hey, we could have moved out here. The relationship with Dave and Camille could have floundered. We could have really not liked them, but we still would have figured out what to do. And for a lot of people, I think it becomes, well, this is it. I have to make this decision. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to, either revert right back to my comfort zone or I'm a failure, but that's not necessarily the case. Even, you know, look at my second two boxes, Clifton Park, you know, we'll talk about later with my partner, but I mean, you could really categorize that as a failure if you wanted to, for me. Maybe on, then, a, on a relationship level. Certainly. And then, and then uh, CrossFit Soul Shine, I wouldn't say a failure, but I mean, I left it. You know, so just because you started something doesn't mean you need to commit to it forever. And just because you're doing something and it fails doesn't mean that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, you're you're never really stuck with anything unless yeah, you make I mean, some I really think, bad decisions. And it's funny because actually the older I've gotten, the more likely I am to do something like this. Where back in my younger days, I mean, when I opened, you know, from the time I graduated college to leaving the Albany area, you know, really almost 20 years. I was really set there where now I think as you get older, you realize, Hey, I can move around. And that's with whether you have a family, whether you have, you know, a significant other now, whether you have a family and, you know, we left my family in Florida, but it, it, long-term it was a great decision for us. That's great to hear. Now, example number two of getting outside your comfort zone. What would Jason Ackerman do? You want to participate in a competition, but it's scary. Competition can be scary. Man, that, that's a hard one, too. I mean, I would like to say compete, but out of all things in CrossFit, one of the things I've done the least is compete. I think I've been a part of maybe five competitions where I've actually been on the floor competing. And they're always fun. And, 
you know, I can relate it to jujitsu. I love training jujitsu. I don't necessarily go and compete often. There's people that compete every weekend, but I think you have to challenge yourself. And, and that's where you learn a little bit about yourself in either of those scenarios or any sport, but you know, CrossFit specifically, uh, you always can get a little bit more out of yourself in competition and a quick tangent, you know, so every weekend at the level ones, we do, we do a workout that typically includes thrusters and burpees. I don't want to give it away, but it's a fast burner of a workout. And I always look for one participant every single weekend. And I've told many people this, I look for the one participant who I think I can get more out of. And it typically looks like they go unbroken on round one, push pretty hard. And then around the middle of round two, they're going to break the thrusters. They're going to break the movement. And I get in front of them and I'm like, you need to go unbroken. And then they push the, the second round. Then third round, I really get in their face. And then like not like screaming like the way I like to coach. Like you can do this and come on and push them to go unbroken. And then they typically do and they collapse on the ground. And then afterwards, 99% of the time they come up to me like, I didn't know I can do that. And that's what the competition will do for you. Well, that's not a competition. I feel like just knowing you can do that changes the way you train going forward. Yeah, I feel like the level one has the atmosphere of a competition, being around so many people, so many different faces and the coaches. That was my only goal was to go unbroken on the thrusters when I retested uh, level one back in July. Happy to say I did it. Wasn't happy doing it, but. <laughs> well, and, and, that's, and that's what I like, even coaching a regular class as a coach, that's kind of always my goal is to show people that they can do just a little bit more than they thought they could. So, you know, bringing it back to your question, do the competition, learn a little bit about yourself, and hopefully you bring that back to your everyday training. Yeah, you'll be a, a, a different athlete after it, for sure. Question number three, you want to ask out your crush, but you fear rejection. <laughs> so a little bit of relationship advice mid-audiobook here. I think if either of us should give relationship advice, James, it should be you, but I'll, you know, Lately, I can give advice, but back in the day, maybe not so much, but you've been in a long-term relationship. Well, let's, um, right, let's do this two-tier then. Let's, what, <laughs> what, would, what would a young, spry Jason Ackerman do? Um, and then what uh, would a sage, older Jason Ackerman do when asking out the crush? A young, spry Jason Ackerman would just flirt very heavily until they were comfortable and confident that this person was going to say yes. Right? So... Okay. And then the older me got to the point where it's just like, F it. I'm going to ask this person out. Who cares? So it was the same mentality, you know, that I have in other things, but there's always that nervousness with a girl. So, you know, it'd be like, I want to get to know and make sure I'm a hundred percent confident that when she hears this question, she's going to say yes. Where, you know, as I got older, it was more like, you know, I remember going on dates, you know, whether it was when I was in Florida or, you know, brief periods of time being single in the in Albany where it was just like I, you ever watch Curb Your Enthusiasm and Larry David yeah last night or the latest episode exactly like you know night. similar to that like similar to, you know what James is talking about is the second episode of season 10 if you want to get really specific side you know, asked, yeah the side sitting episode where you know he asks out that admin girl and you know yeah. that that's kind of where I was before dating you know obviously dating Roz and marrying her where it was just like Hey, you're single. I'm single. You want to try this? And then I remember, you know, being on dates and being like, this is going pretty well. Right. <laughs> and cause it was just, I found that women 
just enjoyed the honesty. And then it got to the point where, and I'll tell people nowadays, that's the advice I'll give. Just if you want to, you go on a date, text the girl right after and be like, that was great. You know, don't play this game of like, wait three days and then you text. I'm like, girls don't want that. You don't want that. And if a girl wants that, she's not the kind of girl you want to date long-term anyway. You know, when Roz and I finally started dating and talking, it was like, just boom, we were a hundred percent honest and upfront about everything. I imagine some of this plays into also kind of being, it's kind of funny being a, a young coach or trainer early in their career versus being an older coach where you're asking like, like, like does that feel okay? You know, um, are you, are you having a good workout? Just being overly needy about things versus being like, no, just give me 10 more pushups. That's, you know, that's a great point. Cause at level twos, I always tell people like, I don't want to hear those fluff questions. How's that feel? Is that comfortable? I'm like, they don't know. Yeah. Like they don't know if they're comfortable. You've told them to move their feet because you think they need to be a little wider to squat better. Who cares if they're comfortable? Like, no, this is highly uncomfortable because I typically squat here, but that doesn't matter. And it's the same with dating. Like, just be confident, you know, go, go out there. You know, I'm not saying tell them what to do, but you know, you don't, like you said, you don't want to ask those questions where you come off as needy because every time you do that, inherently your athletes in this scenario are like, maybe he doesn't know what he's talking about. Why does he keep asking me? Yeah. They start to have that doubt in the back of their head. Exactly. So I always tell people if, if they say things like, how's that feel? Is that comfortable? Even this one, Hey, shake it out for a minute. I'm like, what is that? Shake it out for a minute. If you're a coach and you realize you're crushing your athletes doing reps with PVC, don't tell them to shake it out. Just give them a moment where you teach them, teach them for 30 seconds. The next point that you're going to look at, you know, we're snatching. All right. In these next few reps, I really want you to think about where your feet land. You're going from your jumping position to your landing position. So on these next few reps, I really want you to look down at your feet every time. Now you've accidentally given them a 10 second rest, but you're still in charge versus shake it out. So if you're listening yeah. to this and you say, shake it out or, you know, give yourself a, a minute, stop that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. It's like a, it's a tool you can use and athletes don't, they don't really know that you're giving them rest by giving the next piece of the instruction. Exactly. It's like, no, I'm allowing you rest right now. All right. Well, last question here about comfort zones. Uh, you want to wake up early, but you hit the snooze button. I think a lot of people, I'm guilty of this. This is a tough one. Well, yeah. And, and speaking of, you know, realize it's two hours earlier for me as we were recording this. So I had to get up early and, you know, get a little bit done before we hopped on here. But I can with 100% confidence say probably since college, I've never hit the snooze button. It's like my biggest pet peeve in life. One of the few fights Roz and I have, she doesn't hit the snooze, but she'll, she'll set the alarm and it'll go off and then stay in bed. I'm like, that alarm went off. You need to get the hell out of bed because either I need to get up or I'm staying in bed. But if you're not going to get up, why'd you set the alarm? So that's a fight that we don't have that often anymore because we both give it up pretty early, but no snooze. Here's what I've learned about that. You could deal with the 30 seconds to three to four minutes of pain in your eyes and then you're fine. And, and what you should be doing is going really, that's just saying, Hey, get to bed earlier tonight. So be healthier, get to bed early. But if you're someone listening and you hit the snooze button, 
I got some problems with you. I hate this snooze button. And I'm not just quoting Jocko. You know, who? what's Jocko say? The, the snooze button kills dreams. Yeah. Whatever. Like, I'll still sleep in once in a while. But it's just like, if I, if I set my alarm, it's because I have to get up at this time. I had a friend in high school, and we would have, like, sleepovers, and his name was Jordan. And if we had to get up, he'd be like, well, let's set the alarm for 7.30 and snooze three times. I'm like, no, how about we just set it for 8 and get up when the alarm goes off? Like, I remember being even just a young kid always thinking that way. So no snooze for me, James. Awesome. And no, no snooze for any, any listeners anymore as well. I, I um, hope so. Maybe that's a small impact we can have. We'll, we'll change the world that way. We'll, we'll get many dreams accomplished <laughs> that way. Now, uh, during this, this chapter, you also went on to discuss in more detail starting Albany CrossFit from the court club. Uh, after renting the court from Shy, which we discussed in the last um, last audio sample, what what was the turnaround time to make one of those courts into a CrossFit space? It was fast, I think. So, trying to think of the timeline, I found CrossFit, and then you know, throughout most of 2007, I was implementing it with just clients, and then I you know I, I decided, okay, I'm going to do this probably in the summer. That's when I started reaching out to Nicole Carroll. And I think I went to my level one in October of 2007, but I'm pretty confident my first check. And I know, I think this because eventually like my financial years ran around. This was September 1st of 2007 was the day I started in the, in the court, you know, my first rent check written, uh, you know, the, the business officially starting, but I was teaching basically CrossFit, as like a plyometrics bootcamp class leading up to that. And it went really quick. It was like, all right, I'm going to do this. This is our last class we're going to have out here. And then we're going into, you know, so if you want to be a part of it, you have to join my gym now, you know, Albany CrossFit rather than just coming in as a member of the core club. And it was, you know, a week because really it was just, you know, for those of you that haven't been on a racquetball court, it's 20 by 40 high ceilings and it's just empty space. And it was really just like, we threw equipment into this room and we're like, now this is Albany CrossFit. And then over time started to get more equipment, put mats on the floor, built our own pull-up bars, you know, pre-rogue, but it was a matter of a month, I would say. And that's, you know, that that's something that's, that's difficult for you to undertake, you know, to make that change, but it's also was probably uncomfortable and difficult for the members and, and the athletes because everyone's a little bit resistant to change. So even though they're doing the same thing with you in the boot camp class and whatnot, now moving down the hall into this space that now has the equipment and it's called Albany CrossFit, you know, were there any concerns that were voiced and how did you deal with athletes or, or your clients that were a little on the edge about making that full leap? Yeah, I don't think there was a ton of concerns. I, I know not 100% of the people that I was either training or in those classes came, but there weren't a lot of concerns, but like you're saying, it was very different. I mean, the court that we had was, if, if you've ever been to the court club, it was all the way down the hallway. You know, it was the last one, no windows, dark room. You know, so we went from being out in the middle of the gym to our own little small dungeon, if you will. You know, there was no paint on the walls. The only thing that we eventually had was basically a, a sheet that we painted the Albany CrossFit logo on which I think was some sort of like triangle with three people working out that I found on like MySpace back in the day. Um, 
so it was no it was really just you know either you're coming with me and and, and you're and you're behind this or you didn't come at all but but you know most of those people just came and we just kept doing and they were excited because we went from offering this class once or twice a week i believe when i first opened albany crossfit we had like five days a week like we were closed on like a wednesday because i still had other obligations teaching and coaching at other gyms until i was able to get rid of those and then you know open up every day now when you opened up albany crossfit did you still do anything with the core club or was that a clean break i'm albany crossfit now i'm five days a week these are my hours that I'm choosing to work or were you still taking shifts? No, I think I still had, I would say for probably the first two to three months, I still had a handful of classes. Cause you know, at the time I was teaching spin and yoga and this plyo class. So I think I dumped the plyo class. Cause I was like, Hey, if you want to do this, you have to come with me. And then offered still offered spin and yoga for a few months. And then once the gym took off, I wasn't able, I remember just saying, I can't do this. Plus I was just really into training CrossFit now. And I didn't want to, you know, when you teach spin, you're riding a bike or when you're teaching yoga, I might've been doing yoga. And I realized like I give advice to everyone. Hey, if I'm spending time here, I should be working on the gym or, you know, if I'm teaching a spin class at nine fifteen, why am I not offering a CrossFit class at that time? So it was really quick that I went from, any role in the at the core club to just fully invested into Albany CrossFit. You had to go all in at one point. You know, funny enough, like technically I didn't go all in on day one, but it wasn't for lack. It wasn't like I was thinking I'm hedging my bets or I need to make money. It was just not knowing that I would eventually need to have class. You know, I had one class a day at the gym at Albany CrossFit. So when I realized, you know, there was no model for this at the time. So when yeah, I then things realized take, things take time. Yeah. I'm, okay. Now I need a second, third class. And I'm also having to do all these other little things, you know, very quickly I did go all and I could have kept some other hours teaching or training people and supplemented my income. But I, I thought to myself, I'd rather, you know, really invest a hundred percent of myself in the box. Now, right in the beginning, you're doing everything, you know, you're doing the programming and you have this limited experience, you're right at the margins of it. Uh, were there movements that you were uncomfortable teaching or programming in the early days where you're like, all right, I know nothing about um, bring muscle up or snatches. I'm just going to avoid that. Was there anything you were uncomfortable with? I don't remember being uncomfortable teaching the movements. And it's funny because I'm now thinking back on it. I knew nothing about these. Moves. I mean, I didn't know how to teach a muscle up or a snatch like I do now but I don't remember feeling uncomfortable with it. So maybe it was a little false confidence, but I remember just almost more so being limited by the equipment. You know, we literally had one space for muscle ups. So I didn't program it very often because there was one set of rings and only one set that were high enough that you can do muscle ups on. So again, or the snatch, I don't remember ever feeling like, Hey, I shouldn't be teaching this, but I also now think back and, and wonder why I was teaching it because I really didn't know it very well. It was probably more like, Hey, take this and get it over your head like that, so, you know, jump. So you, you were limited by resources, you know, and equipment. And then there wasn't so much out there at the time, you know, but there are a lot of gyms and coaches these days that do avoid things because they're not comfortable teaching them. Uh, do you have any advice for those people? 
yeah, I mean, I've talked about it on our podcast, best hour of their day, but you just need to become a, a, a better coach. You need to dive into those. You need to practice. You know, if, if you can coach handstand walking, for example, you need to figure out why and need to learn more about it. And that's probably seek out people that are better than you practice yourself, grab one person. And just because you can or can't do it either doesn't mean you shouldn't teach it. I had to teach plenty of movements to either people that were better at them than me or movements that I couldn't do at all. So you need to get over that feeling that you shouldn't be coaching it. I think that's where maybe uh, quite a few coaches struggle with, you know, Hey, Matt Frazier's dropping into my gym and he's taking class and we're doing muscle ups. What, what could I say to him? You know, like how, how do I coach this, this better athlete? What, what do you do when you're coaching someone who's way fitter than you are, which maybe the vast majority of the populace in CrossFit, but like, what, 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 what do you do with those people? Yeah. I mean, that goes back to what I was saying earlier about the level ones. A lot of the times the people I'm deciding to coach are fitter than me. I mean, they could be 20 years younger than me, but you have to, you have to draw back on your experiences, you know, and, and just because they're moving 95 doesn't mean you couldn't get the same stimulus with 65. So you still understand that feeling. And you have to draw on that. And then also just for me, it's a little easier knowing how much experience I typically have over these people. You know, and, and one of the people I remember, one of the first people I really ever remember feeling that way about at Albany CrossFit was Kevin Seaman. You know, so Kevin was probably very quickly one of our best athletes at the gym. You know, and, and he just got really strong. He trained a lot. Of, I don't remember if I used his name specifically in the book later on. But there's a chapter that involves, you know, that's really about him. Um, but he was a better athlete than I was. But I still, and what I always appreciated about him was even though he knew he was fitter, he would still come to me for advice. And it's no different, you know, I don't watch a whole lot of professional sports, but, you know, the Super Bowl is coming before as we're recording this. And I'm pretty sure whoever's coaching those two teams is not the best athlete on the team, but they're all going to listen to them. Yeah, and it's like, when you approach that person, you're also going back to care. You're showing them that you care and that you're interested and invested in their improvement. And that'll keep them coming back too. Whereas if you always ignore them and you're like, Oh, that's good. Good. You move on. They're like, all right, well, no one here cares about me. Yeah. And and now what I would tell someone if they're like, okay, I'm really nervous to do that. Don't be afraid to go up to them and say, Hey, I know you're stronger at me than this, but you know, I, I made big improvements in my own training doing this, or I saw a video doing that. And most of the time they're going to be open to him. And if they're one of the few people that are like, I don't want to hear it. They're not probably good members for your community anyway. Yeah. I, I remember back when, when you still owned Albany CrossFit and we would have our coaches meetings, you know, we, we always like to demo the movement first, even if it's just the wall ball, like, Hey, let's all get on the same page. Here's what we're looking for in the wall ball. And when you're going to have those types of athletes in the room, one thing that you told us to do was to give, give another piece of advice on how we can be even better at wall balls. Like, here's how you're going to shave 20 seconds off your care and time. Here's how you're going to be a little more energy efficient to cycle through your rounds. Like, you've got to give athletes that are looking for that, that little nugget. And then they'll, they'll want your advice and they'll see that you have something to offer other than make sure you squat below parallel and hit the target. 
you know, that's for everybody. And that's for your, your regular athletes, your new people, but those higher level athletes, they want something a little more than that. Yeah. And I think, and that goes to you as the coach, like you need to know that stuff. I know when I would take classes at North Naples CrossFit, the box that I coached out of Florida, the coaches there, they would always give a nugget that I was able to cling to and use. And, and it could be on the most simple movements. It could be on the wall ball. I know, you know, listening to Matt or Dom coach there and, you know, telling us how to move our arms when the ball is coming down or how to try to catch it in the bottom to save time. Even, even a more simple movement, a box jump over, you know, which is pretty straightforward. Hey, jump on this thing and jump off. How you land your feet, how you turn, all of those little things can help your athletes. And, and if you want to become a good coach, you need to be able to coach, you know, the Kevins in your box, but also the Donnas. Yeah. And, and, and that just comes from experience. And, and like I said, like we were talking about for me, that just, that's what I rely on my 20 years of more than that at this point, coaching experience. And, and maybe you can uh, attest to this as well, James, like once you get that little bit of that older coach look in your face, you get a different set of respect, right? Yeah, but you get a little, look some grays in your beard. Yes. You have a little, little limp as you're walking around the room, you know, from yeah. wads that you've battled through. Like one of the care. One of the blurbs on the book is from Coach Bergner. No one ever goes up to Coach Bergner and thinks he doesn't know anything. They, you know, they yeah. immediately listen to everything he has to say because he's been there and he's done it and he knows what he's talking about. Exactly. He's expanded his margins. Big time. Well, uh, that's everything I've got for you on chapter two here. Uh, do you have any other thoughts or comments on comfort zone or getting outside, you know, the margins of your experience? No, I, I really like the questions you asked about this because I think it's pertinent to not only the box, but to outside the box. And I think for anyone listening to this, you know, it could be something as starting with, hey, don't hit the snooze button tomorrow. Like hopefully we're giving out, you know, when, James and I originally started talking about this book. You know, James was, you're probably one of the first persons that I would talk to and ask for advice. And there was a period of time where we talked about maybe having a challenge at the end of every chapter, depending on what the chapter was. So maybe today we can give a little bit of a challenge and that's, you know, leave your comfort zone in some area, whether it's, I don't need you to move across the country like I did, but it could be not hitting your snooze button. It could be if you're coaching later today, going up to an athlete that's better than you and, and giving them some, some coaching feedback, or maybe it's, Hey, ask that girl out. That's your Starbucks barista, you know, and maybe, you know, how many marriages would you say have come from Albany CrossFit? Oh my God. 10, like so, oh, so, so, a, a lot of them. More than I, w I was going to say as many as, okay, maybe marriages is you're, you're probably right about 10. relationships. Yeah. I'm thinking yeah. relationships too, like babies. So yeah, but like serious, strong relationships, probably in the twenties. Yeah. I mean, you got who Stacy and Jean got, got married. I mean, um, who, who else met at, at Albany CrossFit? There's I'm thinking, um, Alyssa and what's her, what was her uh, boyfriend's name? Uh, Chris, 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 um, you already said Alex and, and Meech. Oh no, I didn't say them. And yep. they just had a baby. Um, but even Caleb, other boxes. Caleb and, and, and his now wife, right? Yeah, well, um, Lexi. Yep. Um, Chris Anderson and, and Catherine, you know, even yep. though they're at different boxes. So, I mean, these are just off the top of our heads, right? 
I know there's more. Hey, Jess Lasky and Ben, who we're going to talk about in an upcoming chapter. And I'm really excited to tell the story about that because I didn't go into full detail there. But I mean, hey, maybe best hour of their day of the book is going to continue this tradition of introducing people. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be just families built off of best hours of your day. But, you know, so so whether you'd hit the snooze button or whether you, you coach someone you're intimidated by or whether you go ask that guy or girl out, I, I challenge you today to uh, leave your comfort zone, uncross your fingers, cross them the other way, and push out those margins. Awesome. And let us know how it goes. Thanks again for listening to that special episode of Best Hour of Their Day. If you enjoyed, go ahead and download the book. You can check out the audio book. You can check out the paperback or even the ebook. We placed the link right in the show description. So once again, thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day.